Good morning, church. Good morning. Oh, there are more than six people in here. That's good to know. That's good to know. As we look back, um, one of the things that, that I've noticed is that there are misconceptions, uh, often misconceptions of emphasis, where we'll think God is, is a certain way because we've, we've remembered one story or one Bible verse, but we've kind of missed the larger picture. And, and so today, I, I, want, I want to sort of debunk one of the myths that we think God is like and, and emphasize what is this overwhelming, loving heart of God. So this morning, I wanna look at the God of compassion and I wanna show you just story after story after story of how he sees us and is compassionate towards us and rescues us. But I wanna make sure that we recognize that that needs to replace what is, is a bit of a false view of God's nature. So I wanna I kind of start with what he's not so that we can talk about what he is. So a few years back, I had a friend uh, who was a police officer and he invited me to ride with him uh, on one of his shifts. And we're, I'm riding in the car and, and, and it, it's interesting to kind of see a different world. You know, we pulled over the lady that was speeding and driving on the suspended license. And, and, and it, was, it was just kind of a fascinating world. It was not my world. And then at some point we're driving between two places and he says, look how pretty they're driving. And I looked and sure enough, like through the car, you could see those hands were just exactly where they're both hands on the wheel. And they were driving 39 and a half in a 40 mile an hour zone. And they were right in the middle of the lane. And he's like, look how pretty they're driving. And I kind of laughed, but I realized I, I live in Atlanta and I have a high certainty that whoever that guy was that was driving so, so pretty with the police behind them, they are not the people I drive with on 285. <laughs> right, it's just not the same, it's not the same style, you know? Because I know that on 285, if I need that exit, I'm taking that little spot between you and the next car and you're getting out, like there's, a, there's an aggressiveness. Come on, Atlanta drivers, where are you? Yeah, we're famous. But he pointed out how pretty they were driving. And it was interesting because it reminded me that we behave very differently when we think the accountability is close at hand. And it reminds me of that, you know, stereotypes take something and they just, they exaggerate it big. I didn't grow up Catholic. I didn't go to a parochial school, but do you know the stereotype of the nun walking around with a stick looking to see whose hands she can smack. And you kind of know she likes it. She wants to bust you. She doesn't like you. She, she's just, she's eager to whack somebody's knuckles with a stick. And if we're not careful, we'll take our interaction with the policeman. We'll take that stereotype of that angry nun and we'll reflect it back on God. And we'll think that what we've observed in our world is what we see in the nature of God. It, to which God would remind us, am I a man that I would lie? Because we've all encountered liars. But that, that doesn't work. 
And in that same way, God calls out this, this assumption that God is eager to pounce on us. I know you're, you're sinners and I've got a lightning bolt and I'm ready to strike you down. And that's not him. And he calls us out on that in Ezekiel chapter 18. Let's go to that verse. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23. He asks the question directly. He gets right in our face and says, have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked? And not rather that they would turn from their ways and live? And he recognizes it's easy to assume that God might somehow take some perverse pleasure in the death of the wicked. And yet as I read the scriptures, as we look back at the scriptures, the overwhelming evidence is he doesn't take pleasure in that. In fact, he goes out of his way to avoid that. He goes out of his way to avoid that. In fact, he did not send the son into the world to condemn the world but rather that they might have life, right? The, the, the entire Jesus story, the entire reality of the gospel is he doesn't take pleasure in the death of the weak, wicked. He did not send the son to condemn the world, but that we might be saved, that we might have life. And is this massive move of compassion that he says, that's not who I am. And it's not new in the New Testament. It's pervasive. It's throughout the scriptures that God is a God who sees us and has compassion on us and is moved to rescue us. He does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked, but there are things that please him. And I wanna talk about what brings joy to the Father today. You know, a couple weeks ago, Greg reminded us that, that we have a responsibility to learn what pleases the Lord, right? He looked at, at Ephesians 5, to learn what pleases the Lord. And I wanna tell you, what pleases the Lord is compassion. And I'm gonna show it to you today as best I can. As God's revealing himself to Israel, he's got Moses on the mountain, and there's this, this dialogue that takes place in Exodus chapter 34 where God begins to reveal himself more fully, more clearly, more precisely to the Israelites. And so there in Exodus 34, the, the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him, him is Moses, and proclaimed his name, the Lord. When you see Lord in, in, in caps like that, it's, it's the, the Hebrew word Yahweh, right? And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. This is who he is. Does he take delight? Does he take pleasure in the death of the wicked? No. No, he's the compassionate one and he's gracious, and he's forgiving, and he's for us. As I looked at how might I illustrate this to you, how, how can I pull it together? One of the things that I realized is that there is a temptation to think God might care for me if I'm important, but not care for me if I'm not, that he would maybe uh, behave differently to the great than he does the lowly. And so I, I decided today, uh, we're just gonna look at the people you've never heard of. 
We're gonna look at the people whose names we don't know, who give overwhelming evidence that God sees us and has compassion on us and is quick to rescue. So first, I wanna look at, at one of the extras in Abraham's story. Right, as you move through Genesis, God is clearly the main character of the story. Abraham, at some point, becomes best supporting actor. Like, he's really significant to the storyline. And Sarah, best supporting actress. There's, there's clearly a lot revolving around this family. And then there's the extras. There's the people that like aren't really part of the direct storyline, but we meet them just briefly. And one of those is a slave girl named Hagar. Now, Hagar is Egyptian, so she's, she's a foreigner, and she's a slave, which is an incredibly lowly state. She's a servant to Sarah. And, and, and Hagar kind of becomes a part of this really weird solution to the problem. So Abraham and Sarah don't have children. They've been promised children. And Sarah looks around at, at the culture around her and goes, hey, there's this, there's this practice that's common uh, among the locals that, uh, you know, Abraham, if, if, if you have a child with my slave, that'll actually be my child. And Abraham's like, oh, okay. And, and I'm really sure Hagar doesn't have choice in this decision. She's in an incredibly lowly state. And she conceives and she's gonna have a baby. And she's pretty excited about that. And at some point gets a little haughty with her mistress. I can get pregnant and you can't. Sarah is not cool with this. This, you know, this is the lowly girl needs to stay lowly. There's tensions, the tensions rise. At some point it gets dangerous. Hagar flees for her life. And this crazy thing happens. God sees the foreigner slave girl who's run away from her mistress and shows up and speaks to her and encourages her to submit to Sarah and encourages her that she's, her baby's gonna be fine, her baby's gonna be healthy, her baby's gonna be a little boy, that boy's gonna become a nation and, and promises great things to her. She's not the main character in the story. She's like an extra and he just sees her and she knows it and she gives God a name. There are not many names in the Bible of God given by foreigner slave girls, but sure enough, this Egyptian girl says, you are El Roy, you are the God who sees. Later, when, when, when Ishmael is born, tensions rise again after Isaac is born and she flees into the desert again and he shows up again. And she thinks she's gonna die there in the desert and God shows her a well and reaffirms his promise that your son Ishmael's gonna be a great nation. And the sons and daughters of Ishmael live in Arabia to this day because he sees and he has compassion on people who are in a lowly, lowly state. God saw Hagar. He heard her cries and he had compassion on her. This didn't only happen there in Genesis. It continues to play out. We see this verse in the Psalms that reminds us of another one. In Psalm 68, verses five and six, God says, father of orphans and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. He puts the lonely in families. 
It's an interesting statement that God would be the, the father to orphans and the protector to widows. And you think, is there, is there evidence of that? Yeah. All right, so if we did a list of like, what's the you know, top five famous Old Testament prophets? If we, if we polled everybody, there's a guy that would be on your list. His name's Elijah. Elijah's kind of a cool big deal in his day. In the same way that God is the, the main character throughout, there's a time when Elijah rises to be best supporting actor. In the divine narrative, it's, it's Elijah. He calls down fire from heaven multiple times. He tells the weather, don't rain, and it doesn't for three years. And he's like, okay, now you should rain, and it does, right? I mean, he's, he's a big deal. And he's not my point this morning. Because there's an extra in the story whose name we don't even know. But God is father to orphans, right, and defender of widows. So sure enough, God sees Elijah and there's a famine because it isn't raining for three years. And he says, okay, Elijah, I want you to go out of Israel to this, to this village that's out of the country, uh, in, in the village of Zarephath. You're gonna go there and there's a widow and she's gonna take care of you. And Elijah goes and he finds this widow and she is utterly without hope. Like she, is, she's, she has reached a despair She's got, a, she's got a boy, they're gonna make their last loaf of bread, and then they're just gonna submit to the hunger and die. And Elijah shows up and says, can I, can I have a little of that bread too? And she shares with him. And Elijah promises, and he says, okay, you're never gonna run out of flour, and you're never gonna run out of oil. This entire famine long, God's gonna take care of you. And we don't know her name. We call her the widow at Zarephath because that's the village, but we don't even know her name. She's got a son, don't know his name either, but I, I think God does because he's the God of compassion. He's weaving this story where Elijah is gonna instruct the people of Israel and he's gonna challenge the king. God is weaving this narrative together and then over here in another village, there's a widow in need. And he just picks up his story and he keeps doing the miraculous things and he just weaves it over here and takes care of her. And I go, who is this God that notices this, this lowly widow in the town of Zarephath? He's the God of the, the scriptures. He's the God who protects widows and takes care of orphans. He's a God who has compassion on a widow who has lost hope. But not only there, also, as Jesus is walking and teaching his disciples, he comes to the village of Nain. We don't know this lady's name either. We call her the widow at Nain. We don't know her son's name either, but he's dead. And Jesus interrupts the funeral. By the way, that would be rude now. That would be rude then, right? They're walking the guy out in a funeral procession and Jesus walks up and is like, hang on, hang on. And it puts his hand there and stops the whole thing and everybody's looking at him. And he says, get up. And he calls this man back to life and he gives this son back to his mom and takes care of this widow, whose name we don't know, but who once again confirms that sure enough, God is a God of compassion. He, he notices our lowly estate, right? He notices that, that we're 
hopeless. He notices that we're desperate. And, and in fact, that's one of the things that Mary sings about, right? So the Holy Spirit shows up to Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary, and, and the Holy Spirit says, you're gonna have a baby and his name's gonna be Jesus and he's gonna save people from their sins. And she sings a song. We call it the Magnificat. But as she sings, she says, you've noticed my lowly estate. And I'm like, Mary, you understand him because he is one who notices our lowly estate and has compassion on us. But he does it over and over again. So there's a man we see in Mark chapter one, there's a man who's got leprosy. Now in those days, the understanding of leprosy is that this is a skin disease that is contagious that can kill you. And so there's lots of rules pertaining to how you interact with somebody who has leprosy because you don't want to catch this communicable disease that will kill you. And this leper says to Jesus, you have the power to make me well. What a statement of faith. This leper knows a thing or two, doesn't he? If only you want to, if you're willing. If you want to, you can do this. I know you've got the power, but I don't know if you have the heart. Jesus has pity on him, feels sorry for him, is moved with compassion. and says, I, I do want to. I am willing. Be well. And this man who is an outcast, like actually literally had to be cast out. Like the, the rules around leprosy is like, you gotta get out of here, buddy. You're dangerous to us. Go and live outside the city. Like literally outcast. And Jesus says, I'm willing. And we see a glimpse of his heart. We just see a glimpse of his heart that he's willing to heal somebody who is completely outside. Debbie Mayo shared this morning in the testimony uh, about just the joy of being able to lead her sister-in-law to the Lord. So exciting. I look at the scriptures. I have a favorite just one in the scriptures where, where Jesus goes out of his way to rescue somebody. And I have a, it's, a, it's a favorite story. I one day discovered that it's actually a bigger story than I'd ever known. I, I thought it was you know, these few verses in Mark chapter five, but sure enough, it's part of chapter four and it, it kind of expanded. And I, I started to realize this was a bigger deal than I first understood. So I wanna tell you a story. So Jesus is there in Capernaum. He's teaching the disciples and he's teaching by the, the, the Sea of Galilee and as evening comes, he gets in the boat to go across. Now this is before the invention of electric light. He gets in the boat to go across at night. Might be okay if it's clear night and there's stars. I mean, I suppose you could, uh, sailors know how to do that, right? I mean, I don't know how to do that, but they know how to navigate by the stars. But there's no stars this night. The only light they have is the lightning flashes. There's a storm. And a storm kicks up on, on this lake and the waves are tossing and the wind is blowing, and the lightning's crashing and everybody's utterly ter terrified except for Jesus who happens to be asleep. And they wake Jesus up, Jesus, we're gonna die, the, like lightning, waves, like, hello, Jesus, wake up. He's like, stop. And there's calm. And look, it's like, whoa. He can still the wind and the waves. Who is this guy? Kind of moment. In the morning, they get to the other side. 
get out of the boat. Absolutely crazy, deranged, naked man runs up. That crazy. Like Florida man has nothing on him. crazy deranged naked man runs up. Like this guy lives in the tombs. They've tried to shackle him. He breaks the shackles. He cuts himself with stones, comes up. I know who you are, Jesus, the Holy One of God. And Jesus casts the demons out. And the demons go into the pigs and they run down into the hill. You may maybe know the story. We don't know this man's name. We think he's a foreigner because pigs weren't kosher. Right? We, we think he's a foreigner. We think he's outside sort of the normal body of who Jesus is preaching to. And we know his life has changed. The villagers come out and there's, you know, the pigs are drowning and just, there's, there's chaos. And in the midst of the chaos, the testimony is that the man sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed, that was a well-received change, and in his right mind. Crazy, deranged, naked man is now clothed and in his right mind. And you see this glimpse of salvation on this man just declared so beautifully. And the man wants to come and Jesus says, just go tell people what God's done for you. He's like, I'm on that. And he does, he tells everybody. Jesus and the disciples get back in the boat and they go back across to the same town, to the same beach where he was teaching the day before. He crossed the lake in a storm at night to reach the crazy, deranged, naked man. Who is this God of compassion that notices the most utterly lost and unreachable person who isn't in sight, but is in fact on the other side of the lake with the pigs, not on his agenda, except it was on his agenda. He's weaving together the salvation of the whole earth and he picks up for just a moment and he goes across for just one guy, casts the demons out, transforms his world, sets him free to give testimony to it and goes back to what he's doing. I love this story because it's such a beautiful glimpse of the heart of God. Because, y'all, if we were honest for ourse- with ourselves, even for just a moment, we don't want to go do ministry to this guy. If we're honest with ourselves, or just do we really wanna go reach out to the crazy, deranged, did I mention he's naked, crazy guy? Like, we, we're not drawn to this guy. I'm not feeling led at this time to go do ministry. You know, like, like, We would avoid this guy. And Jesus would go out of his way to cross the stormy sea to reach him. And it's the gospel. Like just in a nutshell, like that's it. That's it right there. Because he didn't come to condemn us, but to save us. which is gonna mean something for us. Because if we've met this God who would go out of his way to do an act of compassion, he's gonna ask that of us. Right, he's gonna ask that of us. And I am, I, um, 
You know, it's good to give honor where honor's due. My wife taught me this lesson. Early in our marriage, most of our arguments revolved around, do we need to stop? Those people have their lights on. They're on the other side of the interstate, six lanes over, going the opposite direction. And we'd have an argument. She's like, yeah, but they looked like they had a need. And I'm like, no. And we'd be driving along. She's like, do you think we need to stop and help them? Honey, we are already late. We cannot, like, we cannot be. And we would have this argument over and over and over again. And at some point, I was forced to reconcile the fact that my wife sees people. And I don't. I'm very in my world, in my lane, doing my thing. But she taught me a little bit about the God who sees. And one Christmas day, we had had woken up at her parents' house, got to visit them in Kentucky. We're driving to visit my mom and stepdad in Ohio. We're on Interstate 71 between Louisville and Cincinnati. And there's a car with its lights on on the side of the road. And I just pulled over. We didn't have to argue anymore. And I get out and there's two men and they've, they've got a flat tire and they've got a spare, but they don't have the tool to lower the spare. I don't know how many of y'all have your spare, spare, your spare tires hidden, right? They didn't have the right tool. And so Josiah and I are helping them get their, lower their spare tire down and Heather gets some snacks together and she's talking to the ladies and it's, it's two Muslim couples who are traveling. And she's chatting the ladies up and giving them some snacks and and Josiah and I are helping the men and we change the tire. And as it's time to shake hands and leave, this Muslim man looks at me and says, Merry Christmas. And it it dawns on me, somewhere along the lines, I learned a lesson. I I don't know when it happened exactly, but somewhere along the lines, I learned that the God who sees wants us to be the people who see. That the God of compassion wants us to be the people of compassion. And it, 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 it transforms you when you see. Jesus told people in Matthew 6, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is unhealthy, your, your whole body will be full of darkness. And the reality is, is God wants to give us sight. To see people to have compassion on them. The the compassionate God invites us to be like him. This morning, if you've thought of God as that ready to pounce enforcer, I, I just, my prayer for you today is that you'll find freedom to let that go. Because he didn't come to condemn the world, but that we might be saved because of his great love. And I hope you can receive that today and I hope it transforms your life that you look again and you see that the God of love loves you. He's for you. And church, we need to be the people of compassion. So this is my prayer for you. My prayer is that this week, next seven days, God's gonna give you sight. And you're gonna see someone who needs some compassion. And you're gonna do it. You're gonna go help them. You're gonna go out of your way to just offer them the kindness that you've received.
And then you're gonna tell us the story and we're all gonna celebrate that the God of compassion is leading the people of compassion and that the world is encountering this God. Because the world needs this. Jesus, I thank you for our church and that we can, can look at your scriptures and see that you love us, that you genuinely are the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious. that you're slow to anger, that you're abounding in love and faithfulness. God, would you help our hearts to believe the goodness, the love that you have for us? And would you transform us to love others just like you've loved us? Thank you, Jesus. Amen.